Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. It's good to be here with you. Um, I also believe we've been joined by somebody who is in the witness protection program today. Yeah, it's a, he's just a black silhouette on our screens, uh, and, and frankly, we like him just being a silhouette, uh, but we have uh, David Moore. Hello, David. If that is actually you, David, should we use your name or should we use something else? Do we have to disguise your voice today? Hello. Happy to join you. <laughs> David, I, knew, I always knew you would end up in witness protection someday. Happy holidays. <laughs> Oh, how's it going? Doing pretty good. How are you guys? Oh, we're doing great. You know, we're, we're approaching the holidays. I'm on vacation. This is great. This is, this is, I, I always die to spend my vacation with you guys on a podcast. There's <laughs> nothing better than that, let me say. Life's looking up. Yes, it is. Yesterday, yes, it is. Yesterday in our household, Bonnie ate the carpet off of the stairs entirely. Yeah. Um, Which one of the stepkids I, is that? What's that? Which one of the stepkids is that? <laughs> then I put her in the crate, um, and she chewed a hole in the crate and climbed out of the crate. So, um, <laughs> Are you sure this isn't a bobcat? Or, or maybe, you know, I don't know what you got there. That doesn't sound like a, a just a domesticated animal. Yeah, she's sleeping in a little tennis ball chair right now, just quiet as can be. But if I yeah. leave this house, my God, what happens? Yeah, let's. Yeah, let's. I think you should try a steel cage. I looked at one of those. They were uh, eleven hundred bucks. <laughs> wow. Be, be nice to put. Be nice to put a prison cell in the middle of our living room. Yes. <laughs> Have a little cage match. That'd be great. Super stuff. All right. Well, listen, we got a lot of stuff happening uh, here with the Cowboys. Uh, things kind of looking up for them. It's kind of hard to say that because you just never know what they're going to do next. Um, but uh, as uh, David recounted uh, for us today in the Dallas Morning News, uh, they are currently sitting at the number two seed, uh, which is which is a pretty good place to be, isn't it, David? Well, yeah. And, and But before we start, I, I found it uh, – Highly amusing that uh, both of us in the print product, and yes, there still is a print product of the Dallas Morning News, if you care to read it. It's not just digital. Uh, but both of us, about the same point in our stories, actually evoke the name of Elon Musk. And uh, my, my, my mine was that uh, trying to decipher the playoff scenarios with three weeks, really three point two weeks left in the regular season since you still have a couple of games tonight, uh, trying to decipher the, the playoff scenarios uh, at this point is a little like trying to follow Elon Musk's logic on his Twitter thread. It's yeah. uh, pretty convoluted and, and difficult to dig, dig at. But yeah, so, so Dallas went into week 15 with a chance to clinch the division and clinch a playoff spot, one or the other, or both. They came out of it as we sit here on Tuesday with two games left this evening, they still have not done that, but they actually improved their position. So it was better that they didn't. They jumped from the number four seed to the number two seed. And people will say, I got this immediately. They will say, well, wait a minute. 
Tampa Bay beat Dallas to start the season. So why is Tampa Bay currently the number three seed in Dallas two? That gets to conference record and something we've talked about uh, on the podcast before. Dallas is losing the best games to lose. They're losing to AFC teams. Uh, and Dallas has the best record in the conference at the moment. They're eight and one. Green Bay is next at eight and two. All these other teams have either lost three or four conference games. So really with the win this week against Washington, Dallas can basically secure the conference uh, tiebreaker, uh, which which gives them the leg up in any three-way tie, which which is significant because all these teams are bunched together at the two, three, and four seed. But so the thing though here, David, would be, and tell me if I'm wrong, if the Cowboys win out. You're wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. If the Cowboys win out, they could be penalized because then they'd have potentially a two-way tie with Tampa Bay for the number two spot. Yeah, if those two teams that again, that's the irony of this. If these two teams wind up in a two-way tie, then Dallas always loses that because head to head's the first tiebreaker. And so that loss in the opening game of the season will determine uh the seeding process and give Tampa Bay the edge. Right. The Cowboys need to win against Arizona, but in doing so, they may hurt their playoff position. Yeah, if Tampa Bay doesn't lose the rest of the way either, and Dallas beats Arizona, Tampa Bay wins out, Dallas loses out, now suddenly they're both tied. Uh, But again, look, Green Bay's in here too, right? Green Bay's one game ahead of everybody. If Baltimore would have been successful on that two-point conversion, they would have dropped down, and we would be talking about a, a four-way tie there with, for the top record in the NFC. So it is not out of the question that Green Bay loses a game the rest of the way, even though they're – you know, right now you look at it, the two longest winning streaks in the NFC are Dallas and Green Bay, both with three consecutive wins, which gets to the point there are so many Cowboys fans that are just going – Oh, but these wins are ugly. I mean, they, they've got to start playing better offensively or this team isn't going to do anything. Um, I would say I, I understand that and I agree that this team needs to improve offensively or you can see it coming back to bite them in the postseason. That being said, would you rather – you're talking about three ugly wins. Would you rather be Arizona right now, which has lost to the Rams and came back and lost to Detroit? Um, talk about it. That's an ugly loss. And, uh, and would you rather be Tampa Bay? You're, you're lamenting, uh, the lack of offensive explosion for Dallas right now. Tampa Bay was the number one ranked offense in the league and was just shut out by a new Orleans team that you beat to start this month on the road in new Orleans. So, uh, all, all the teams at the top of the NFC in my mind are, are really close. There's not much distinction. So seating is, is critical. I think that there's no way to, after looking at everything that took place on Sunday, um, and even with the warts in the Cowboys game, there were some, there were some nice moments too. Clearly the defense, um, the reemergence of Dalton Schultz, all of that was, was nice. But if you look at the day as a whole, I don't know how you can come away with any meaningful, um, negatives. Yeah. Just because of the what happened with the other teams and how that impacts the playoff situation. And the fact, Kevin and I, you know, I, I posed this to Twitter the other day, which is where you go when you want logical conversation. But is there, is, yeah. is the there forum. a single... That's the public forum you go to, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Is there a single group in the NFC playing better than, than Dallas's defense right now, consistently? 
at the mo- let's go and start with the two teams with the longest winning streaks in Dallas and Green Bay in, in the NFC at the moment, and they are modest winning streaks. But I will say any team that has won three straight games in December, you're setting yourself apart from the pack, and you're playing the way that you're going to need to play to win in the postseason. Dallas is doing it defensively. Green Bay, as they always do it, are doing it offensively. Uh, so I think you could probably make an argument for Green Bay's offense um, being as dominant at the moment as Dallas's defense is. Um, but but you're right. And, and this, you know, I, I think this is the other thing that, that Cowboy fans are wrestling with because going into the season, if you would have said they would have been 10 and four with three games left and the number two seed, no one would be complaining about how they got there or how they were playing or what it looked like. But you assume they would be at that point with the offense being dominant and the defense coming up to the middle of the pack. The, the, you know, the script's been altered a little bit here along the way. The narrative has changed. And now I, I think people are trying to wrap their heads around this Dallas team can win differently and still get to where they want to go. Uh, you know, maybe they can get to the divisional round. Uh, excuse me, maybe maybe they get the NFC Championship game for the first time in 25 years, and they don't have to do it by beating teams 35 to 28. They can do it by beating teams 24 to 17. And this Cowboys team hasn't been constructed in that way in a long time, but it is now. I mean, just look at these three games in December, all on the road, all wins. Dallas has allowed 14 points and forced an average of four turnovers a game in these three games. Uh, that, that is a dominant defense. Yeah, you know, that's that's the thing about this team that uh, I think David makes a great point is that you, uh, first of all, going into the season, the Cowboys defense was awful last year. So the, the, Historically the, bad. Not just, uh, yeah, historically bad. They reached lows in many categories last year. Absolutely. And so, and so it, for them to get back to middle of the pack would have been, and, and and we thought that was possible, you know, that felt like that, you know, what Mike Nolan was doing last year, the guys just didn't understand. Apparently he was putting down the, uh, you know, the defense in a different language. Uh, but, <laughs> but at any rate, it was you know, almost impossible to think that they would be any good de- defensively. And so it would all ride on this offense. And, and I think it's been very difficult for everybody, fans, media included to, to wrap their heads around the fact that, well, you know, that people keep wanting to say they're not going to go very far if the offense doesn't come back around to what it was during the six game winning streak. And, and the facts are that this defense is playing great. What's, you know, when we watched Baltimore play over the last few years, we, you know, we talk about that's a team built around its defense. It's always been built around its defense and they have, and Lamar Jackson has played well, you know, at times and he's had, had almost MVP type performances but we still credit them mostly for their defense and what they do and what they've done. Uh, and it's just kind of hard to think of the Cowboys that way because, you know, frankly, even with the, uh, the turnovers and the, the number of turnovers, turnovers that they've generated, it, uh, it, it's a little hard to buy in sometimes because you feel like they're sometimes are a little fluky where, where a guy just throws it right to you. And what else are you going to do to catch this ball? Uh, but uh, the facts are that when you can rush the passer like they do now, and when you have uh, guys in the secondary, like certainly like a Trayvon Diggs, uh, and and even you know uh, so, some of the other guys in the secondary have, have picked up their games as well. They're more aggressive. They they they're more confident in the secondary now than they than they've ever than I've seen them in a long time. 
better uh, safety play than you've had in a long time back there? Absolutely. I'd still like to see collectively one yeah. more. I'd like to see them add one more safety, but you know, uh, we'll nitpick about that later. Uh, but that the, the point is, is that, is that I do think, listen, this offense is going to come back around at some point. Uh, I don't believe that the offense will keep playing this poorly. And when they do play, have a good game and they do play well, because, because Dak had his moments in that game against the Giants. I thought yeah. there were times where he, he set his feet, he looked around, he found the right guy. And when he found Dalton Schultz in the back of the end zone on that touchdown pass, you know, that was his, what, his third option on that play. Uh, he set his feet, looked good. Uh, he had moments where he, he didn't play as well, but that's the, that's the best that Dak has played in several weeks. I thought I, I on, a, on the flip side and I, I'm not, I, I don't take this as a, as a damning criticism of that, of Dak. But I mean, as we are looking at this, I thought there was a naked bootleg early in the game. That was basically a repeat of the, of the pick six he threw the week before just was dropped. Um, and I still feel like, there are opportunities, Kevin, and I know you and I have harped on this. There are still opportunities for Dak to make more out of plays with his feet sometimes than I think he does. Um, he's got that ability. I I will say this, that um, as I was watching the game and, you know, it, it, as it, we kind of come down the stretch here, it looks like I'll be Mr. Couch Potato on the, on the Cowboys beat and, and listening to the, to the broadcasters. Um, and that was the question after the game from the Fox guys was these guys have the, the players, they have the skill players to go all the way. Do they have the confidence in, in Dak to, to, to do it at this point? And that, that's where the question is right now. Boy, Evan's such a hater. He's, has he always been a Dak hater like this, Kevin? No kidding. Wow. I like Dak. I mean, I, I think he's. Oh, con- yeah, we can tell. Yeah, that's I, right. I, I think he. I, I think that the cowboy quarterback um, is always going to be in the shadow of Roger and 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 Troy, and will always be un- judged unfairly. Um, but I, it has been stark the difference in him pre calf injury and and post calf injury, and and that's to me that's a little bit worrisome. To me, that suggests that maybe there is still some issue with the calf, and he's just not able to make the throws the way he needs to make them. Everyone associated with the organization and Dak himself is adamant that health is not an issue here. Uh, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier. I think some of this is like the rolling blackout theory on offense. Uh, I I think with the injuries you've had in the offensive line and the shuffling you've had in the offensive line across the front uh, with the, the injury Elliot was dealing with and the decline in the run game. And then you start to lean more on Pollard than Pollard misses the game with plantar fascia uh, with Michael Gallup being out for a long time. He comes back. Then you lose Amari Cooper. Then you lose CD lamb, you know, the, the rhythm and the momentum that Dallas had offensively early in the season, they haven't had that group together since then. And every time they get somebody back, they seem to lose one or two guys in another position. So I think they're working through that. And I do believe that explains the lack of cohesion to some extent. But Dak has to be better. And and what you're seeing now is Dak has always been outstanding and his decision-making was the most decisive earlier this season when we were praising it when, when teams were blitzing. 
boy, he just picked it up. He went to the right spot. Let's move it. Let's keep going. Hit big plays, small plays, mix it. That everything fit. Everything made sense. Now teams are saying, well, you know what? He can pick us apart in the blitz. Let's back off, play zone. And guess what? This offensive line with its interchangeable parts and guys moving in and out, we're getting pretty good pressure on Dak without sending anybody. So let's keep seven guys back in coverage, flood the zone, make it more difficult for him to read, muddle the situation and see what he does with that. Make him do everything underneath. Make him be patient. Make him read it. And and to me, the Giants game was a great example. They were just the latest team to do that. And most of the game, I mean, Dallas, you know, Dak took the short stuff. They were still ahead. They were in control of the game. But what happens? In the fourth quarter, Dak rolls out. He sees Cooper. There's a bit of frustration and ego that comes into play of, well, look, I've been patient all game. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get the ball to Cooper. I'm going to do this. Boom, he gets stripped and it's a fumble. Much like he forced the ball in the fourth quarter against Washington one week earlier. Now, there was a bad route run there as well, but still. So, and that's what those defenses do. They go, you know what? We're playing the long game here because because your confidence and your ego and your supreme belief that you'll be able to make a big play to change this game, you won't be able to help yourself. And all it takes is you to make that mistake and we're back in it. And Dak gave them that opportunity there in the fourth corner. Now the Giants weren't good enough to do anything with it, but that shows teams, defenses are playing the long game against them. You cannot be patient the entire game. You won't take all the underneath throws over the course of the game because you're going to have to show how good you are. You're going to have to get your key offensive players involved, and that's when we're going to strike, or at least we have an opportunity to strike. And and it's come back to bottom in these last two games. They've weathered it, but it's but that that's what teams are doing. They're just saying, okay, we're going to be patient. We're going to wait you out. David, I wonder how much the Cowboys need to go more no huddle. I've, I've always thought that Dak was much better in a no huddle offense. It seems to get him in a better rhythm uh, when when he's up at the line of scrimmage and they're and they're or not at the line of scrimmage, but when when they're when they're just constantly moving. He seems to play better in a two minute offense uh, to me. Or at least, and I, I I was kept waiting to see that in the Giants game. And and they just didn't do it very often. And I and I, I, you know, I wonder about your thoughts about that. If you feel like that's something that they need to try to do, I agree. I think a lot of times he's at his best in the two minute. And 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 you want to say, why don't you do that more? I think Dallas plays with tempo a lot, a lot more than other offenses. I think they go two minute offense, four minute offense. They'll slow it down. I think they defenses don't know from one possession to the next what they're going to do, and it impacts the defensive substitution patterns. But then the offense has to capitalize on that, right? And and they have been capitalizing on it lately. The fear is, I agree, I'd like to see them do more two-minute offense. And I think they've tried that here in some of these games in the the last month. But what happened? That just means you have some quicker three and outs, (laughs) and then you don't build anything. You know, two-minute offense is great when you're getting six to eight play drives and you're establishing that rhythm. But Dallas hasn't been able to do that on a consistent enough basis. Uh, But, you know, Washington game's an example. They came out and they were in that kind of two-minute offense, moving the ball quick, everything underneath, moved down the field, got a field goal. Uh, What happened in the second possession? Dak throws an interception on the second ball. Uh, So now you're, you're out of that rhythm. Uh, they came down and scored a field goal on the first possession against the Giants. Then what happened? They they bogged down a bit. 
So this offense is having too many three and outs. So in addition to being patient, they have to get better in the run game. Uh, when they run on first and 10, it needs to be second and six, second and five, not second and eight, which you're seeing over and over again during the stretch. So the run game has to get better here, and it has to fit into this context as well. And you saw incremental improvement, I think, in the run game against the Giants. What's the uh, health situation for the tackles uh, for Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins? Uh, Lyle Collins is doing pretty good now. There are no uh, physical issues there. Tyron Smith, whatever a head coach comes out on Monday, as Mike McCarthy did last week, and ruled him out for the game against New York, in my mind, you're also declaring, yeah, there's a good chance he doesn't play the next week. So I think Dallas will play this game this week that, well, we'll see, you know, Tyron Smith is getting better. He looks better. I would be shocked if Tyron Smith returns this week. Uh, I think that game against Arizona on January 2nd is more likely. Yeah, they just need to get him healthy. It's a little bit like yeah. uh, the Mavericks with Luka Doncic and and sitting him down with his ankle. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure he could probably play, but I think they just decided, listen, this is ridiculous. If it's be a recurring issue with him, let's sit him down. Let's let's put him on the the bicycle. Let's see if we can get him in a little better shape, and uh, you can take these opportunities to do all of that. So. And and that's the issue, real quick. That goes to what we're talking about, right? Because you want to get an offensive rhythm. Well without arguably your best offensive lineman, we can debate Zach Martin, but without certainly your best tackle in there, are you going to get that rhythm? Are you going to be as effective offensively to work back to that? And now suddenly, you know, early in his career, I I think Tyron Smith could miss two or three games. He would come back in and he would just pick up where he left off. He missed three games earlier this year. How did he look in that first game back? He did not look good. In fact, there's also the you can look on YouTube. There's a clip of where he turns to block his own offensive lineman rather than blocking the defender. So I, I, you know, I think at this stage of his career, he's not the dominant player he's been for most of his career. So he needs to get out there and play to be back. So Dallas is going to have to weigh this in the stretch too. How much do we play guys who are hurt, but we also have to get some rhythm. Uh, that, that's the discussion these final three weeks of the regular season because a division title and a playoff berth is a foregone conclusion. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment. We're going to just kind of uh, throw around a couple of things here, little shout-outs to uh, different people and different things. Uh, Evan, I think you wanted to go first with something that happened uh, Saturday out at Jerry World. Well, you were actually out there. I was uh, I was there middle of the week. I was not at, at Saturday's um, – High school, the UIL state championship games to, to see South Oak Cliff bring home the first state championship to DISD since when, Kevin? 1958, when uh, Booker T. Washington won the PDIL. It was the first UIL state championship for a DISD school since 1950, when Sunset won the Old City Conference Championship, which was actually a little bit controversial for a three-year period there, 48, 49, and 50. Uh, they had what they call the city conferences where the, you know, the major urban areas of the state about there were only about two dozen schools that were actually in the city conference. So the, the, the uh, state playoffs was a pretty short ride for anybody who got in. And so they got rid of it after 1950. Uh, you have to go all the way back to 1924 to the last true statewide UIL state championship. Uh, and that's when uh, old Oak Cliff High School, which became Adamson, won a state play, uh, won a state title. So this was actually the only the second UIL 
statewide state championship uh, in, football. in football, which was won by Sock, which was pretty remarkable. And I, you know, what came out to me on Wednesday um, in doing a story kind of on Duncanville's Reginald Samples um, and and uh, Sox, Jason Todd, uh, talking to some of the coaches on Todd's staff, like um, like Kevin Wayne, uh, it was just um, there's a real level of investment into the Sox community, and that showed up. And I think one of the coaches said to me at that point in time, if any, if it was going to happen here, if it was, if it was going to happen, it being a revival of an urban inner city school, it was going to happen at Sock. The community was, was, was in place. There was some history there. There was a real passion from, from, from the coaches. And we've seen what happens. And I think you address this, right? You give an inner city school the ability to compete with the big time suburban schools and they, they absolutely can. And, and I think that's a real victory. It shouldn't be just a victory for South Oak Cliff. It should be a victory for what DISD is, is done to invest in some of those inner city schools. Yeah. You know, we saw a little bit of that. Uh, my, all our kids went to Hillcrest. Uh, the same thing happened there. You know, that was a Hillcrest high school. The plan itself was built by the little town of Vickery back in 1938. There had been very little improvement to the school since then. And I think a lot of people felt like, well, you're sitting on the border of Preston Hollow, one of the wealthiest uh, enclaves in Dallas. Uh, you, you don't need anything. And it's it's like, yeah, if you walk into that school, uh, it was it was pretty pitiful. And uh, and they just did a, as part of all these uh, uh, refurbishments of all these campuses in the EISD with the bond packages, two two bond packages. Uh, they uh, they refaced the school. They uh, got a new uh new competition gym and a second gym. We never had a second gym before. Uh, and what one of the kids said there, and, it, and of course, this is in a, in a school that's a, a 80% minority, uh, was that, you know, this is so great that we have all this. It, it's so nice that when someone else believes in us to give us this kind of thing. And, and, that's, and that's the issue. And that's what Horace Bradshaw said to me, the president of the Booster Club at, at South Oak Cliff and a guy who played in the seventies when, when South Oak Cliff had some great teams, but they, but they never, they won the district three times and never advanced out of that. When your weight room is a hollowed out place underneath the school called the dungeon where they're flipping flywheels instead of lifting actual weights. Uh, it's a little difficult to compete uh, on the same level with other schools and the things that they have. Uh, there's a reason why these wealthy areas such as uh, Highland park, uh, such as South Lake Carroll, Austin Westlake. There's a reason why they've won so many state championships the last few years. They have access to a lot of things that these other kids don't have access to. And it, it makes it the road a lot simpler uh, for them. So uh, yeah, kudos. Yeah, very quickly, I mean, what, what happened with the Cowboys a few years ago when they were back at Valley Ranch and they couldn't practice at that facility anymore where they would look for a place to go, they would wind up at high school fields in the area because the <laughs> facilities are so good. Now, they, they weren't winding up at certain high schools like South Oak Cliff or some of the others, uh, but you're right, the, the wealthier districts, uh, they, 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 were, they are good enough now to house uh, and, and give the amenities that professionals are, are accustomed to. And there's still, there's still some discrepancy, right? You know, our kids were at Flower Mound. 
There's an indoor practice facility there. All the suburban schools have indoor practice yep. facilities. Sock just recently got a turf field installed in the in, in the back of the field. When I was over there, the gym was brand new and beautiful, but I did not see uh, uh, an indoor facility there. You know, when when it rains, those kids are are, are limited to some extent. Um, but you, if you invest in a community. Um, you get returns, and 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 I was really happy to see that for for the whole South Oak Cliff community. Yeah, me too. And for our, also for our shout outs, I'd like to give one to Todd Dodge, uh, who uh, just retired after winning his third straight title at Austin Westlake, one of the kind of schools that we were just talking about. Uh, Todd also Todd retires with seven state titles, uh, one four at South Lake Carroll as well. I believe that's right. Uh, I know it's seven overall. I'm trying to keep up with him. Um, the crazy thing about uh, Todd is that uh, I covered his last, oh, I don't know, three or four games in high school, including the state championship game against Odessa Permian, which they lost. Um, and then he went on to Texas and, and played there and uh, and then went into coaching and was a, a marvelous high school football coach. He's now retiring I believe Todd is 58. It's a little, it feels a little weird to be talking about a guy retiring after a long career. And I covered his last high school game and I'm still working and he's not. <laughs> well, by your definition of work, yes, you are. Well, absolutely. That's right. I, I, I sold shoes once, so I know what really <laughs> what real work is. Uh, this is not real work. I believe again on Twitter, where is the place that I go for all my pertinent content? Um, our colleague Brad Townsend called Todd Dodge the most transformative figure in Texas high school football, which would be saying a lot, but that's, wow. what, he, that's what he said of his career. Yeah, he, he really, he, he changed a, a lot of uh, what high school football was. Before Todd, you know, South Lake Carroll had been pretty good. They'd won, I believe they'd won one state championship, but he made them a dominant program. They, uh, I think at one point they were 74 and one, you know, they, he, uh, every, everybody was copying Todd Dodge. Every, every high school in the state was, was doing that. So, uh, Eddie's, and he's a great guy. You know, I, I don't doubt that part of the deal is he says he wants to spend more time with his grandchildren and with his mother who's 83 years old. Uh, but I think also, you know, he beat his, his own son in the state championship game a couple of years ago. And, and I'm sure that was difficult for him to do that. Uh, I, I think that uh, he'd like to probably move on now and uh, let uh, let Riley take over and maybe see if he could uh, dominate uh, the state like uh, the old man did. So well, the Dodge the Dodge tree definitely has some branches now with with, with Riley at, at, at Carroll and and having a whole lot of success and and just to go back to the DISD thing, you know, Reginald Samples had been at Lincoln and at at, um, at Sunset Skyline at Skyline. Skyline. I'm sorry. Um, and had turned those two programs into powers, and Jason Todd worked for him, and so that coaching tree, the DISD coaching tree, is now getting some some roots as well with samples at Duncanville and and some of those guys rising up in DISD. So there's a new generation of coaches, and it's it, it's good to see. Absolutely, David. Is there any shout out that you'd like to give? Do you have anything nice to say about anybody? Well, I'm sorry. Were, were we doing a segment here? We, we have to say some something nice about somebody? <laughs> yes, I know that's hard for you to do, David, but say something nice about somebody. Well, who we talk? I, I like you guys okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
That is high praise for David Moore. Let me tell you something. Is that I like you. Yeah, I like I these so. guys. Okay, that's yeah, like that that's like David's last uh, uh, Valentine's <laughs> card to Cheryl. Said that, <laughs> Cheryl. I like you. Okay. Oh man, what a romantic guy you are. That probably uh, explains a lot about how the last year has gone. I guess I should look. Yeah, at there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, David doesn't have anything nice to say except to us. That's going to do it for us this time. And uh, we're going to have one more podcast for you this year. Make sure you check in on that one. We're, we're going to we're going to make some predictions. I think I'm predicting that we'll make some predictions. Uh, so make sure you tune into that next week. Until then, happy holidays, and we'll check you next time. <laughs>